one line. So I've, it's a lot better than last week's in the last couple of weeks. So I'll give you a second to write it down. Today is August 4th. This is the 77th day of our journey here in the, in the uh, summer. Our big idea is this. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. So we're going to spend some time this morning digging into that and building a, a theological framework for what that means, that Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. Our identity statement is, I am the embodiment of Christ. Another word that's often used is incarnation. It's a little bit complicated to use the word incarnation interchangeably in this way because Jesus was the incarnation. Jesus became flesh, which is what incarnation means. So to talk about us becoming flesh when we're already flesh doesn't quite make sense. So we'll explain that a little bit. But we are the embodiment of Christ. Now let's stand together, if you will, and let's do our memory verse for uh, this series. It's uh, Luke chapter 6. Verse 43 through 45. I think Shad's back there. You got it back there for us? It's the gray one. The gray one with a bunch of lines on it, white lines. There we go. All right, let's read this out loud together. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. All right, you can have a seat. <laughs> I know that feels like, like Awana or something, but... Um, it's good. It's good that we do that. I have, I've, I've memorized that verse, not to brag, but I've memorized that verse simply just by reading it out loud almost every day for the last uh, 77 days. Not every day. And so it's a real easy way. If you, if you have a hard time memorizing Scripture and you like to memorize Scripture, just simply read a verse out loud for a long time and you memorize it. And so that's uh, a really simple way, really simple way to do that if you want to try. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm uh, today, just like probably every Sunday, and you're, you're probably rolling your eyes thinking, oh, how's this any different? But I, I have so much to share, and, and a lot of it I'm going to just, I want to try to plow through in a pretty quick basis to, to kind of build the framework, and then we'll make some application uh, at the end. And then we're going to talk about this a lot this week as we go through the devotionals and the podcast, and so uh, if you aren't listening to that or, or reading those on Workplace, that'd be a great way. You're kind of missing out on, on about uh, five-sixths of what we're talking about on a weekly basis. But before we get into that, um, has anyone, anyone ever not feel like you're an adult? You ever have a moment where you feel like, I'm not, I don't really feel like an adult, 
Or maybe, how about parents? Any, any, ever, any parents ever feel like, I don't really ever feel like a parent yet. I just don't feel like I know how to be a parent. You know, I, I feel like that all the time. But I remember thinking when I was a kid, and maybe you thought this way when you were a kid, but you had a view of your parents and you looked at your parents and thought about your parents. They were just, they were parents. And they seemed to know what they were doing, even though when you grow up and become an adult and look back on it, you realize they didn't have it all figured out. But while you're a kid, you look at your parent and you think, they're, they're just my parents. That's what they are. That's, that's who they are. And there's no question about it. So from your perspective, that's who they are. But now, having been a parent for more than 13 years, I still don't always feel like a parent. In fact, I wonder if I'll ever feel like a parent in the same way I thought that my parents were parents when they were my parents as, kid, as a kid. Does that make sense? So there's, there, there's, now that I am a parent, there's a gap between what I feel like and, and probably my kids think of me, don't have any conflicts at all thinking of me as their parent. But I have conflicts feeling like a parent. The same thing is true for being a pastor. I've been a pastor for 20 years, a senior pastor for the last six and a half years, and yet I don't always feel like a pastor, and oftentimes I don't feel like I should be a pastor. I feel like there's a gap between what a pastor should be and who I am. And so you might say that I feel like a poser. I don't know if anyone else feels like a poser. Does anyone, everyone know what a poser is? All right, a poser is, is somebody who acts like something they're not. It's especially a skateboard uh, term, as, as someone who carried around skateboards but couldn't skate was a poser, right? And that was a, that's a real thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel like a poser sometimes. Like, I'm a pastor, and I, I, I call myself a pastor. I, I make a living as a pastor, and my whole life is about being a pastor, and yet sometimes I'm probably not really qualified to call myself a pastor. So in some ways, I am a poser. But if you, if you think about it, and we're all in some way, shape, or form a bunch of posers, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> trying to be honest, trying to be real this morning. So if we're, if we're being honest, we're a bunch of posers. On the outside, we may exhibit characteristics of being a parent or being an adult or being a spouse or maybe being a hard worker or even being a Christ follower. And we, we put on the outside a visible display that makes it look like we are this, but then on the inside, we know the shortcomings, we know the mistakes, the selfishness, the flaws, and all of the problems with who we are. There's a gap between who we portray ourselves to be and who we really are on the inside. There's also a gap between who we are and who we want to be or who we wish we were, right? There, we know we are where we are at this moment, and we would like to be further along than we are, but we have not yet gotten to where we would like to be, so there's a gap between where we are and where we would like to be. But we tend to, I think, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think humanity in general tends to put on display on the outside 
more than we actually possess on the inside. We, we kind of are good at putting on a facade, putting on a show, putting on a performance that says on the outside, I am this, when on the inside, we're not really that, right? So we have a hard time being real about who we really are. We have a hard time being real about who we really are. And the, por- the person we portray ourselves to be is usually a little bit better than who we really are on the inside. Now we're going to look at Jesus and start to tie all this together. Now this, this is the fire hydrant section. So bear with me if you will, but I want to kind of build out a, a framework, a theological framework for the fact that Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. The incarnation talks about the word becoming flesh. So it's, it's kind of, kind of uh, the word becoming humanity is what that is. But Jesus, when he was humanity, he was also the physical embodiment of the Father. He was one with the Father. To get this, we're going to spend some time in John. So if you've been doing the reading in John, uh, a lot of this should sound familiar because we covered a lot of this last week and, or we will cover a lot of it in this week to come. Even some of it was from today's reading. So this should really resonate uh, for those doing the John reading. But this started at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word. That's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. So Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. So before anything existed, before anything was created, Jesus existed with God from the very beginning. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, The Word became flesh. There's the incarnation. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. It's actually tabernacled. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelled in our presence, dwelled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was the embodiment of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, he was God. He became flesh and tabernacled or dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son who came from the Father. All right, so Jesus was with God, he was God, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, the embodiment of God. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, and all these verses, we can just have the key scriptures up on the screen, you can write them down, and I encourage you to go read them in more detail, because we're not going to dig into them a lot right now. But John 7, verse 37 through 39, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, This is at the end of the the festival of tabernacles when he's saying this. So he tabernacled among us, and then at the end of the festival of tabernacles, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus promised that those who believe in him would have springs of living water that well up from within. Like we've talked about, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the spring of life in the form of the spirit of the, of the living God will be in us and it will well up, the spring of li- living water will flow up 
within us. John chapter 14, verse 5 through 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus was telling the disciples on the night before he was going to be crucified that he was going to the Father, and, and Thomas doesn't understand it. And so Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. So Jesus is the embodiment of the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. From now on, he says, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, if you have known me, you not only have known the Father, but you have seen the Father. But Philip, needed, Philip was wanting this big ethereal experience where the clouds parted and the heavens opened, and he got to see this magical you know, expression of the Father. But Jesus was saying, I'm enough. I need to be enough for you. Don't you know me, Philip? Verse 9 even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. We've covered that a lot already in this series. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The work that Jesus was doing was the Father's work because the Father was living in him doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. This is going to be important later on, especially later on in the week. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right, so we've, we're covering a lot. Hang with me. Jesus was full of the Father. Jesus was overflowing with the Father. Jesus is also the way, the truth, and the life. Those are his words. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Springs of life or springs of living water. And Jesus is saying that seeing him is the same thing as seeing the Father. So seeing Jesus is seeing the Father. And the life that Jesus lived while he was on earth was the life of the Father being lived out through Jesus, right? So Jesus is living the life of the Father while he's living his life here on earth. And then Jesus doesn't leave it there. He passes it on by saying, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. So just as Jesus lived out of the fullness of the Father, in the Father, then in Christ... We, those who believe in Christ, will live out of the same overflow of God's fullness, doing even greater things than Jesus did, because that's what he said we would do. It's intense, right? It's getting intense. All right, let's keep going. We're still in John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can stay in John 14. In the same speech, the same sermon, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, present tense. The spirit of truth was living with the disciples, so they knew what the spirit of truth was because the spirit of truth had been living with among the disciples in Jesus, so they were familiar with the presence of the spirit of truth. So it says, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So keeping Jesus' commands is how we love God. Keeping Jesus' commands is one and the same with living out the fullness of God dwelling in us. Those who keep his commands see Christ, and seeing Christ is seeing the Father. So these are all Jesus' words, just simply Jesus' words, and there's more than this we can't get into. But now let's go into later in the New Testament after the resurrection and look at some of Paul and his statements on this. Colossians, if you want a good, a good understanding of being the embodiment of Christ or becoming Christ, then read the book of Colossians a whole bunch of times and it will really start to make sense. It's like four chapters, so you can read it over and over every day and really get a good sense for it. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says... The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if you're wrestling with the idea that Jesus is the visible expression of God, here is the statement that that is in fact what was happening. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, the firstborn over all creation. And then we're going to get a recap of what we've already covered. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's us, so he is our head. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The entire fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
So Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwelled in Christ. And then Jesus becomes the reconciliator of all mankind. His work reconciles us to God where we had been alienated, we had been separated, we had been divided. It had been impossible for us to get to God prior to what Jesus did, not because of the work of Christ and his physical death. We get to be presented to God without blemish. We are holy and acceptable to God, holy in God's sight. What it says in verse 22, we are holy in God's sight and presented to God without blemish because of the work of Christ reconciling us. That's good. Colossians chapter 2. Hang with me. I know, I know. I know this is a lot, but just hang with me. Colossians chapter 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, this is true. Continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. The fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And I think you can make the argument that the fullness of the triune God lived in Jesus in bodily form, but that's a theological discussion we don't have time to get into this morning. You can debate that with Jim after the service. But um, <laughs> the fullness of the deity lived in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority in him. So there's so many in him. If you want to do a good study, a fun study in the New Testament, look for, do a study with all the in hymns and in Christ that are in the New Testament because that is what we are. We are in him. We are in Christ. In him, you are also circumcised. Woohoo! Anybody? With a circumcision not performed by human hands. Okay, that's good news. Uh, your whole self was ruled by the flesh, that was ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, we say this all the time, buried with him through baptism and raised to new life in Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead raises us from the dead. We're raised to new life in Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, so before God did the work of separating our old sinful flesh from our spirits and all of that, that technical work that's really hard to understand, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. So while we were dead, God gave us life. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, the debt we owed, because of our sins, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's good. In Christ, 
the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you and I have been brought to fullness. So in Paul's words, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in him, and overflowing with thankfulness. So Jesus was the embodiment of the Father. Jesus was the bodily form of God, the fullness of the deity. He was with God in the beginning. He was God. The Word, capital W, the Word is, which is that which proceeds from the mouth of God, became flesh in the person of Jesus. So the Word, that which proceeds or that which comes out of the mouth of God, became flesh in the person of Jesus. It's important that we understand that, 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 that life is the Word. The Word that is what comes out of God's mouth is life. You cannot separate the two. Proverbs, I think, says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. We have the ability to create life and to destroy life with our words. We've vastly underestimated the power of speech, especially God's word. Jesus was one with the Father. He was in the Father and the Father was in him. He also had the presence of the Spirit, which we talked about. He had the presence of the Spirit throughout his ministry and the disciples would have been familiar with the Spirit because they were familiar with the Spirit of Jesus when he was with them. Because of his existence as the embodiment of the Father, Jesus could only do what the Father gave him to do. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. He could only communicate the message he had been given to communicate. He could not veer away from that message. He had to say only what the Father had given him to say. He was locked in to that exact message. So Jesus lived this life, a complete, obedient life to the Father, a life without sin, a life of good works, and he lived it because of, out of, and for the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived it because of the Father, he lived it out of the Father, and he lived it for the glory of the Father. This was Jesus' life. This was how he lived his life. Okay. I get that with Jesus, but what about us? Now, we, too, are also supposed to live the same kind of life. Jesus said in John 7, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, whoever believes in Jesus, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So from within us, that part of us where we were talking about earlier in the service that, that feels like there's, there's distance between who we're presenting ourselves to be and who we are on the inside, from within us on the inside is supposed to be a stream of living water flowing out of us because of the Spirit. 
which Jesus talked about in John 16, we said. And I will ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And on that day, when you have received the spirit of truth, the day that you receive the spirit of truth, one of the primary functions that you will experience as a result of being in Christ and receiving the spirit of truth, the gift of God to all who believe, the presence of God living in us, the thing that you will understand on that day is that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. You see, I think, you know, just like we often do or like I have often done with eternal life and eternity and heaven and all of these things, how we kind of, we minimized heaven or we minimized eternal life to heaven when Jesus actually said that eternal life is knowing the Father. The, the great point of eternal life is knowing the Father. That is the, that is the reward, being with the Father and knowing the Father. Heaven is just the setting. It's just the place that that takes place, and it's only a temporary setting because eventually we'll end up back here with a new heaven and a new earth. But we've done the same thing, I think, with the presence of the Spirit, where we want the presence of the Spirit to do all of these things you know, through us and in us and for us and to, you know, to, to help us conquer all this stuff. But the primary function of the Spirit, the first foundational function of the Spirit that Jesus said is that on that day that you receive the Spirit of truth, you will know something. I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And could it, be, could it possibly be that the reason there is such a gap between who we're presenting ourselves to be on the outside and who we feel like we are on the inside is because we're not starting from the right place. We're starting from the position of proving something with our human stature that we have been able to accomplish something in a spiritual stature that doesn't actually take place. And instead, what we need to understand is that Jesus is in the Father he is in me, and we are in him. And from there flow the wellsprings of life. From knowing that I am in Christ, and knowing that Christ is in me, flows the wellsprings of life. So the commands and doing the commands, we can try to do them in our own strength and we can always come up short or we can do them from the position and the place of knowing that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and because Christ is in me, I do what Christ does. Because Christ is in the Father and Christ is in me and I'm in the Father and I'm in Christ and we are all in this together somehow in some, some miraculous, unexplainable way. We are all one and unified in this miraculous you know, expanse that crosses all of the cosmos. Somehow it's all intertwined and out of that flows the wellsprings of life. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So Jesus did not start to exist when he became a human. That's, that, if you've heard, that is, not a, that is not a true teaching. He existed before that. And then 
he incarnated, he put on flesh, became flesh, made us dwelling among us, and that which had existed continued to exist in visible human form. We, I think, narrowly restrict Jesus to be the Jesus that walked on the earth. Like, like, okay, when you think about Jesus, do we not, I do this, do we not go to the guy that walked on the earth and died on the cross and rose from the dead? But that's not who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't who he was when he was human. That was who he was for that brief period of time, and now actually we learn that because he became human, he continues on in that form for the rest of eternity. But, but he was who he was before he became human, before he existed in human form. So then, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus before he became human? He was the word which proceeded from the mouth of God. He was that which was spoken. He was truth. He was that which, that which is true. And so when he then became human, his insides perfectly correlated with his outside because he was true. When we are true, our insides correlate with our outsides. We become True, that's what integrity is. We read later that he was actually the perfect Adam who lived a sinless life, did what Adam should have done but didn't do. So then, if Jesus was this, if Jesus was truth, and he was truth before he became human, he was true, he was that which is true, and then he became the embodiment of that, and he was in the Father, and the Father was him, and all that. What about us? What, about, what are we supposed to do now? Okay, so that's great about Jesus, but I get that, because you know, he was the embodiment of that which had already existed from all of time, and so you know, that's, you know, Jesus lived this perfect, sinless life because he was God, and so that must have been what it was. So, but what does that mean for us? Because we're not perfect. And yet we're called, Jesus said with his own words, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? Like, how? What, what are you talking about, Jesus? Don't you know me? And scripture says that he didn't know people because he said that he would not entrust himself to people because he knew the heart of people, so he knew us, and yet he said to be perfect as his heavenly and father is perfect. What do we do with that? How, how are we supposed to be perfect? How are we supposed to be the embodiment of Christ? How does this happen? How do we even change our existence? Well, I have three simple steps, and when you do these three things, you'll perfectly arrive at being like Christ. (laughs) 
I am kidding. I do not have three simple steps. We're going to spend the whole rest of the week looking at this concept and talking about it because that's the whole series we're in, Becoming Like Christ. How do we become the embodiment of Christ? Well, I think if, we become, if we're going to become the embodiment of Christ, it starts with God speaking. Jesus was the logos, that which was spoken from God's mouth, that which came out of God's mouth. If we are going to be the same truth that we're supposed to be, then it has to begin with God speaking. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God's word, which is what is supposed to happen in us. So if we're going to become like Christ, we have to be spoken to constantly by the Father. We need to be in constant communication. We need to be constantly tuned in to the frequency of God's voice, of God's words, of God's truth. And this is the only way it will ever become a reality in our lives. If we're not consistently plugged in and tuned into God's truth, his words, then we don't have a chance at all of becoming the embodiment of Christ. The only way for it to become a reality in our lives is to be tuned in to God's word because John chapter one, verse four and five says that in him, that is in Christ, was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There in that one verse, I'm not sure if it's one verse or two verses, but John 1, 4, let me check. Two verses. So we see that Jesus was life, and Jesus was life, and the life of Jesus was the light for all mankind. So the life that Jesus was became the light for all mankind, and this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or some translations say the darkness has not understood it. Not only was Jesus life, but there is darkness. So in this world, there is darkness. Surrounding us, there is darkness. We can be tuned into the light, or we can be tuned into the darkness. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So if we want to become the embodiment of Christ, we have to be tuned in to God's voice, to be listening to God speaking. The words I have spoken, Jesus says, are full of spirit and life. We have to be receiving and being filled up with the spirit and life. In his prayer in John 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. 
We've talked about sanctify as that church word, the Christian word for being set apart for special use, for a special purpose. It's like your, you know, the china like your, your parents might have had. You know, you had the china that you only brought out at special times of year, like if the queen came over to your house. You would pull out the china and then you would never use it for anything else, right? That's being set apart for special use. Well, this is what's supposed to happen for us. We're, both to, we're supposed to be pulled out of the world and set apart for special use, and that is to display the life and light that, that the world needs to see. That's sanctification. That's what's supposed to happen for us, the special use. When we are in Christ, we are not of the world. That means we are not tuned in to the darkness. We're set apart from it, just as Jesus wasn't of the world. He was in the world, but he was not of the world. We too are supposed to have been set apart, drawn out for a special purpose. How does that happen? How are we set apart? Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart by what? Your truth. Your word is truth. The only way we can be effective when we're sent into the world is if we've been sanctified and set apart by the word of God, which is truth. So this is how we start to become the embodiment of Christ. Listening to God, speaking the spoken word of God, the logos. Do we create space adequate space in our lives for God to speak to us, to speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds so that we can actually start to be the embodiment of Christ. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. This is where I think a lot of us struggle today a lot of Christians in our era are really caught in this because, because we're, we're not tuned in to the right frequency. We tune into the frequency for a little bit on Sunday, and then we tune in another frequency the rest of the week. The rest of the week, we're listening to hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human traditions. And listen to this elemental spiritual forces of this world. In other words, the really little stuff, like the, the really small thinking. Now don't, don't then think of yourself as, well, I, I, am not, I am not trapped in the elemental forces. I have risen above. I am a collegiate student of Christ, and so I'm above all these other people with their elemental understanding. That's not the point. The point is, don't be deceived by that which is down here when you have been raised up to something up here. Don't let your mind dwell on this stuff when you have been raised up and given a new life which exists in this stuff. We need more of God's truth in our lives. Set us apart. We, we want God to set us apart for himself, set us apart for his work, set us apart by his truth, then send us out into the world to be a light just like Jesus was when he was sent in the world. And he lit it up and he wants us to light it up too. So it starts with God speaking. But then it gets into this. Cruise with me for a little bit as we plow through another section of material. 
we have to put on God and put off the flesh. We have to put off the flesh and put on God. This is a challenging uh, teaching. It's hard really to understand. It's taken, I don't know that I fully understand it, but we have a spirit and we have a flesh and our flesh entices us and draws us into sin. And what we have to learn is how to put off the flesh and put on God. Colossians chapter two, verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, that was ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So, having been buried, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and working of God, who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ, or with Christ. So the work of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, by dying for us on the cross, he put to death our old self. And so this might seem kind of weird, but imagine the old self, your flesh, being nailed to the cross, and now it's death, and it's dead, and it's there. It's done away with. That is the old self. And now you have been raised just like Christ when he was buried in the tomb and then raised and he had a new body, he had this whole new body that could do all these really cool things like walk through walls and teleport and a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Now, we don't get to do that yet, but that's coming. Maybe we can do that. I don't know. Maybe we just don't have enough faith and we haven't really gotten to that point yet. So I, I want to get there at some point in my life and see if I can actually teleport because there were people that did that after Jesus, but that's a digression and a bunny trail that we don't need to go down. But we get, we get a new body, a whole new existence that is raised as we're raised with Christ. Right? So, so the old flesh was cut off, circumcised, and then we receive a new life. You were made alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When we were buried with Christ through baptism, raised to new life in Christ through faith, it was as though the old flesh was pulled off of our bones and the new flesh of Christ was put on in its place. We have to put off the flesh and put on God. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, unbelievers do, in the futility of their minds. They are Darkened, what's the opposite of light? Darkened. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Apart from Jesus, we're darkened, we don't have light, we are alienated, separated, aliens from God, we cannot get to God, we are not even really the same existence that God is until God remakes us in his image and our hearts are hard. They, the unbelievers, those who are not in Christ, and maybe we can resonate with this probably, they have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that 
is not the way you learned Christ. That's not who you are. You aren't like that. You are not darkened in your understanding. You are not alienated from God. Your hearts are not hard. You have been given a new soft heart. And because of that, you have learned something entirely different that those who are not in Christ can learn. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Where's the truth? Jesus. You have been taught to put off your old self. Put off, take off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The embodiment of Christ. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. So that's us. We've been raised to new life in Christ. We've been resurrected, brought up with Christ. And since you have been raised with Christ, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what we do since we've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, take off, get rid of, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but that's not who you are anymore. That is not who I am. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. That's not what somebody who is in Christ does. You can't lie when you're in Christ. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. In the knowledge, the, the truth, the understanding. Bear with each other. No, I skipped too far. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There is absolutely no division whatsoever of any kind in the kingdom of God because we are all Christ. So there's nothing that separates us. We're just all unified by Christ. And so, so there should be no reason to be separated, no reason to be divided, nothing that should divide us between us and other Christians because we are all in Christ and one in Christ. And I don't know if it's just because I'm worked up and excited today, but it's hot in here. Could somebody turn on the air conditioning? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, because we've put to death whatever belonged to our earthly nature, it's all my fault because I've tried to reprogram the thermostats this week and I probably did it wrong. 
As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, put on this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're supposed to put off the old and put on the new. Put off the greed and put on the humility. Put off the lust, put on the kindness. Put off all of these things that existed before Christ that were just examples of that, the fact that we were dead and dark and now put on that which is life and light. Bear with each other and forgive one another. That means in Christ, in the kingdom of God, in Christ, we are called, the command is to bear with each other. When things aren't going so well between you and another Christ follower, you bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oops. I meant to cross that out. That shouldn't be in there. <laughs> That's not what he actually says. That is not the truth, right? I mean, so let's just get rid of that part because I don't want to forgive like the Lord forgave me because he forgave me of everything and that's too hard. There's no way I can forgive others like God has forgiven me except the problem is that's what God says and that's the truth. That's what it means to put on the truth. How did God forgive you? Everything. It's all forgiven. So it's all done, right? Then bear with each other, forgive one another. And over all of these, above all of these, over all of these virtues, what do you think it is? Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the clothing of Christ. This is what we dress ourselves in every day. We, when we get up and we listen to and we commune with God and we connect our hearts with God and we align our hearts and our minds and our thinking with God's mind and his thinking, then we start to clothe ourselves every day with compassion because God is compassionate. We clothe ourselves with kindness because God is kind. We clothe ourselves with humility because Christ was an incredibly humble Man, there was no one who ever existed who was as humble as Christ, except for maybe Mo, uh, Moses, but I don't think that that's even a comparison. It's just that at that time, he was the humblest man that ever lived. But Jesus was humble. He was gentle, and he was patient. This is what we put on all and over it, above it all, love. 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 We have been raised to new life in Christ. That is a life of love. We set our hearts and our minds on things above, and the things above is God's love. Not earthly things. Not earthly love. God's love. 
So we put to death all that stuff, all that stuff of the flesh. When that stuff of the flesh starts to try to pull you back in, when it tries to draw you back in, all we do is we say, that's not who I am. That's, that's not me. I am in Christ. The old has gone. The new is here. Forever and perfect here with me. The new has come. The new has arrived. I am in the new life, not the old life. So instead of responding to those old draws, to those old calls, I put on Christ. So let me ask a couple questions before we close. How much time did you give God's truth in your life last week? How much time did you give God's truth in your life last week? And a follow-up to that question, instead of beating yourself up, I should have done more. Ask yourself this question. What is one thing I can do this week to give God's truth more time and influence in my life? What is one thing I can do this week to give God's truth more time and influence in my life? Don't beat yourself up for last week. That's the past. There's no reason to even worry about that. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness if you feel like you need to, but don't worry about that because that's behind you. Instead, look ahead and say, what is one thing I can do this week to give God's truth more time and influence in my life? Because if I'm going to become like Christ, I need God to speak Christ into my life. And so what is one thing I can do this week? Just one, one more time. Can I, can I add one more time with God this week than I did last week? Maybe you didn't read your Bible at all last week. Read it once this week. Maybe you read it once, read it twice. Maybe you read it twice, read it four times. Maybe you didn't pray last week at all, so maybe pray once this week. Maybe you prayed once last week, so now pray twice this week. Spend some time communing with God. Whatever it is, what can you just do? One more thing so that you give God's truth a little more influence and input in your life and see if you don't start to look and act and sound and talk and be more more like Christ. What's one thing you can do this week? Second question, what do you need to put off? Do you have some anger, some rage, malice, greed, contempt, slander, filth, lust, sexual immorality? What do you need to put off? And leave off. It's already been nailed to the cross, so just leave it nailed there. Like stop taking it off the cross. I mean, like, don't get out the ladder and climb up the cross and start to rip the thing off the cross every week. Just, just put it off and leave it there. Just, what do you need to put off? Because that's not who you are. That's who you were. But that, when you see that old you up on the cross, that's who you died to. Third question, what do you need to put on? 
Do you need to put on compassion, humility, kindness? Maybe you need a lot more love. We probably all do. Can we put on some more love this week? Can we put on some more love in the way we love one another? Can we put on some more love in the way we love those who aren't in Christ? Can, can we put on some more love on the freeway? <clears throat> can we put on some more love when we're at the workplace with that annoying coworker? Can we put some more love on with our boss? Can we put on some more love with our spouse? Can we just put on some more love and see if we don't start to become more like Christ? Can it be said of you, anyone who has seen me has seen Christ? That's what Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Can it be said of us, anyone who has seen me has seen Christ? What can we do this week to be a better representative of Christ in the week ahead? Jesus was the embodiment of the Father, scripturally speaking, For those of us who are in Christ, we are the embodiment of Christ. That is the truth. That is the truth God speaks into our lives. That is the truth we have to embrace. How are we living it out? I'm gonna ask if the band would come, remind us what's going on up here. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's funny, just even this week as we started this, this last Sunday, we've already heard stories about how God is aligning things so that we can have input and influence in the lives of those who don't believe. So up here we've got cards. If you didn't do it last week, you can do it this week. On the front, the white side, you can write your name. Write your name on the white side, on the back, whatever, the, whatever color of the card, whatever the color of the card is, on the back, Write the name of someone who's in your life that, you, that, that God has maybe put in your life for you to shine the light of Christ for them. And maybe through you, God wants to seek them. God wants to use you to seek them and use you as a magnet to draw them into his presence and for you to be the embodiment of Christ so that they can be saved and experience Christ. And, but God has already started to orchestrate conversations, relationships. I even had an unexpected one this week, and that was fun. And so maybe, maybe God wants you to be Christ to someone. And this is your opportunity not only to put it up here, but to join together with the rest of us as we pray for one another for the names. We're not going to look at the names. No one's going to take the cards off and look at the names on the back and Oh, I saw you had so and so written on your card. Where are they? They haven't been here yet. That's not the point. The point is we're all praying together that God would draw people through us as his body into his family, that there are some outside the family that he wants to draw in. And maybe there's just one up there. Wouldn't that be cool if, if we spent these few weeks praying and if we spent today, the next 24 hours praying, praying God, just one. God, we, that, that movie, I don't even remember what the movie was, Hacksaw Ridge or something like that. We're like, God, just give me one more. That's a prayer I pray all the time. God, would you just give us one more? 
one more who doesn't know you who comes into the family, one more who's outside the family that's brought in, one more who's dead that you bring to life. God, would you give us just one more? And wouldn't it be cool if just one of those, just one came to Christ? Yeah, they'll be up during prayer time today. So during this song, as we, as we sing and close and do our time, just if you haven't done it, maybe, you, maybe you've thought of somebody else over the last week and you need to come and take your card and write another name on the back. You can come up and do that, take your card off and update it. And, or maybe you didn't fill out a card, so you can fill out a, a card last week. And, but who, who do you have in your life that God wants you to be Christ for? And then pray and ask God, God, give me opportunities. God, would you give me opportunities to, to invest in the relationship with them, to know them more, to love them more, to care for them more, to be compassionate and kind to them more, that they may see you and me as a result of being together with them. And Father, I pray as a result of being with them, that they not only see you, but that they would meet you, that they would know you. And so maybe you don't need to come up and update anything, but during this song, I just invite you to pray for the names that are on your card. Pray God, give, pray for opportunities. Pray for God to soften their heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 is a prayer that we often pray. I pray, God, would you send your spirit to open the eyes of their heart. Their eyes have been darkened to the spirit and they can't understand it. God, send your spirit to open the eyes of those who don't believe. Pray for God to open the eyes of their heart that they might be able to see you. So let's just continue to pray and as we worship and interact with God and his presence here this morning and just ask that God, God do a work to, to save one more. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we know what you're like because of Christ. We thank you that though you exist outside of everything we can imagine, that your existence is even far greater than anything we can fathom. We know what you're like. We know who you are because Christ came and in the flesh represented you to us. In the flesh told us about you, in the flesh showed us your love. Father, thank you that we can know that. Father, I thank you that we can become that, that the promise of scripture is that we can become like Christ, that as we are in Christ, as we are more and more in Christ and the spirit of Christ in us, we can actually become more and more the perfect Christ in our lives. And that is out of the overflow of Christ in our lives, we can live out the Christ-like life. I thank you. This is what you've given to us. This is the, not only the call that we're supposed to rise up to, but it's the gift that you've given to us that we live out of the overflow. I pray, Father, that you would just flow out of our lives as we're gathered here and finishing up here our time together this morning, flow out of the overflow in our lives. God, I just pray, flow out of us in this time. 
Give us, give us the desire to love and encourage and pray for and lift up one another in these few minutes that we have together that you would just flow out of us into this space that we have. And I pray, Father, that you would just so fill us, not only today, but every day this week, that out of the overflow of our lives, our mouth would speak Christ. Out of the overflow of Christ in our soul and our spirit, our lives would exemplify Christ, that our attitudes would reflect Christ, that everything in us would come from Christ. And I pray, Father, that they would see. Father, those who are lost, those who are perishing, those who are still accountable for their sins and will be judged according to their sins as their sins deserve, they will have to pay for those sins. I pray, Father, bring them in. Bring them into the family. Bring them into the kingdom. Bring them in to take their seat at the table that they may know you, that they may know Christ whom you have sent, and that they may experience the fullness of your love in their heart and their life and in the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.